for the Old Testament is in Ezekiel chapter 47, as we see a picture of the river of life in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Let's hear God's word, Ezekiel 47, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 12. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east from the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, and the water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, The water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living creature Every living thing that moves, whether the rivers, wherever the rivers go, will live. And there will be a great multitude of fish, because these waters go there. For they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen's, fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to in Eglium. They will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for medicine. Here is a picture of the river of life that begins rather small and continues to grow and grow until it reaches the ends of the earth. And we're going to see that here in Revelation 22. Again, the word of the Lord. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. 
And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we confess our limited understanding of your truth and your word. And how much we need, how dependent we are upon your Holy Spirit. Touch our very hearts and souls this morning, Lord, with your truth. The truth that sanctifies us because it's your word. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, we have come to the final chapter of the book of Revelation. The final chapter of the seventh vision of the apocalypse. The, the final chapter of the Word of God. But, but not the last sermon on Revelation. We're going to have one more sermon on Revelation. This is the last thing that God has to say to us as His people. And, and we should still be seeking that blessing. The blessing that was promised us in the very first chapter of this book. That those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, that they are blessed, for the time is near. Now this morning I'm just going to begin by going over the first five verses of chapter 22 as kind of a, a continuation of what we looked at at the end 
uh, we were told in the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 21, it's kind of really connected to it. Because here we have the fulfillment of what God has promised His people down through the ages. Uh, I read the prophecy in Ezekiel 47 just to remind us that this is not new. God has promised a river of life in the Old Testament. And He's promised to open up the way to the tree of life as well. And that's what we see happen here in the first five verses of chapter 22. You notice how it begins in verse 1. How the, the river of life flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now that was symbolized in the Old Testament by, from the temple. But this river symbolizes eternal life. It symbolizes the salvation of Christ in all of its fullness, which is the gift of God's sovereign grace to us. This is not something that you and I produce. It doesn't proceed from us. It proceeds to us from our God and Savior. And this means that our salvation came about not by our will, but by the sovereign will of God. It was merited for us, earned for us, by the redemptive blood of Christ, not by our works. Because salvation, as we've said over and over, is all from God. You know that from beginning to end. God did it all. And He did it without your help or my help. Also, we should realize here as we've gone through the book of Revelation that the life of a Christian is supposed to be about fellowship with God. That this is what you and I were created for. This is why you and I exist. That is, to have communion with this God who has revealed Himself to us. But of course, how does the book start? The book of the Bible. We, we broke that fellowship by our sin. By the sin of our first parents and we with them. And what is fellowship with God? What is communion with God? Do you remember what Jesus said in, in John 17.3 in His high uh, priestly prayer? And this is eternal life. That they may know You the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, that's really what it's all about. It's not about us. It's not about you and me. It's not about what you and I want. It's about our God and what He wants. And what does God want? He wants you. He wants you. He wants to know you. And He wants you to know Him. Because that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Because that is eternal life, Jesus said. And not only is there this river of life, we're also told in the first five verses here, there's this tree of life. Notice how John puts it in verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Remember, you hear the echoes there uh, from uh, Ezekiel 47. I don't know what you have thought about the tree of life. I mean, we know it was in the Garden of Eden at the beginning, right? And and after our first parents sinned, they, they were driven out of the garden to keep them from eating the tree of life and thereby living forever in their sinful estate, never able to be saved, forever condemned like the fallen angels. But here, I mean, I've always thought about that as kind of like one tree, right? 
But here we're told, the text implies to us that there's more than one tree, at least two and maybe many trees. Some people think it's kind of a a park-like setting with this river flowing through it and the trees of life on each side. And these trees are are fruitful and they bring healing. And so if you kind of look at this whole picture together, if we look at the the whole thing, we, we see that it really symbolizes our salvation in Christ. The super abundant character of our salvation in Jesus. It speaks of the full measure of the most blessed and ever abiding communion with our God and Savior for all those who dwell in the new Jerusalem. For all those who are in the holy city in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's theirs for all eternity. The harlot is no more. Babylon, the city of man, has fallen. But you see, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, in all of its beauty, washed in the blood of the Lamb, it continues on forever and ever. And we're told that this blessed city, this holy city, is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verses 3 and 4. And there shall be no more curse. That in itself is just unbelievable, isn't it? But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. So the throne of God is in the city, in the church. God dwells with His people, revealing His majesty, revealing His sovereignty as this river of life flows from His throne. And those who dwell there are joyfully obeying the commands of God, the will of God. The will of God is their desire, their longing. They they see His face. They enjoy His favor. They, They live in His grace. They worship Him. His name is on their foreheads. In other words, this is proof that we belong to Him, right? John says in his first epistle, when He is revealed, when Christ returns, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And the Lord Jesus Christ will openly acknowledge us as His own. And we will joyfully confess Him as our Lord. This is our God. And we shall reign with Him forever and ever in this new heavens and this new earth. You know, it is not really possible for me to put this in words that express all that this is going to be like. This this is beyond anything that you and I can imagine. And and one last thing to notice here. The light of the city of God, uh, uh, the light of the new Jerusalem, of the church, it's no longer the sun or the moon. Because we're told there's no night there. It's it's the eternal day. The eternal Sabbath. And so there's no more need for the light from the sun or the moon. Whether they're there or not, I don't know. Their purpose is finished. And the light that you and I need as God's people comes from the Lord Himself. It's just like the psalmist puts it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And it shall be so. In fact, you might just remember God made the light on the first day. He didn't make the sun and the moon until later. And what you and I need is the light of the Lord to shine in our hearts. Now, beloved, look at all that's promised you in that which is to come. What is promised you? It is salvation in all its fullness. Eternal life with Christ. The end of the curse. 
the end of sin and pain and tears and death. We shall live in His presence and we shall serve Him and worship Him and praise Him for all eternity. We shall see His face. His name will be on our forehead showing that we belong to Him and all that we are in body and soul. And we will never deal with darkness again. Not the darkness of this world. Not the darkness of sin. We will live forever in the light of Christ. Because you see, that's who we are. That's really who we are. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so shall it be forever and ever. But my friends, that's just the beginning. So let's move on here to, to see the more that we have that's, that's coming, that's going to be ours in that which is to come. My final theme for the book of Revelation is behold, Jesus Christ is coming quickly to bring in the eternal state of glory. And I have two points for you. First of all, we're going to look at the warning of the eternal state, verses 6 through 11, and then the blessings of the eternal state in verses 12 through 21. So we're going to finish off our study here in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ as we look at the warning and the blessing that's given to us here in this final vision, this final chapter of the Apocalypse. Once again, we're told that these visions are faithful, that they're true. Verse 6, then He said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, really, this is a repeat what we heard back in chapter 19, verse 9. And as one commentator actually put it, this, this last chapter, it really doesn't require any special comment because of all that we've read and all that we've heard in the previous chapters. But we're going to jump in anyway, okay? So, verse 6 tells us uh, not only that the Word of God is faithful and true concerning that which is coming for us in the future, but it also reminds us once again how this book began. God has revealed this book to us to show us. That is, to show the saints in the days of the Apostle John, to show the saints who have lived ever since then, and to show the saints today, to show you and I the things that must shortly take place. In other words, the visions here do not describe that things that are only going to happen at the end of the age just before the coming of Christ. But what they do is they give us a picture of church history that began in the first century and continues until the last day to that great and terrible day of the Lord. These are the last days that we're living in. The days between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. The days of the dragon and of the world's opposition and persecution of the church. And these days will end with the defeat of the dragon and the complete and final victory of the Lamb of God over all who oppose Him. The promise that was made in the garden after man first fell into sin, the promise of a Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head, it comes to its ultimate fulfillment as Jesus Christ consumes the lawless one with the breath of His mouth and destroys with the brightness of His coming. In verse 7, we have the first here of three times when we are told that Jesus is coming quickly. 
Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is repeated in verse 12 and then again in verse 20 of this chapter. Uh, And that really kind of makes it the theme of this last sermon and the message that you and I need to hear, a message we need to receive, a message that we need to take to heart as we hear God's word this morning. Now, when we consider those words must shortly take place and, and Christ saying that he's coming quickly, you and I, what we often try to do is kind of look at this from our own perspective, right? But of course, that would be a mistake. The shortly coming to pass means that these things began when this was given. The church age and the preaching of the gospel have begun. And with it, the persecution and the the attempted seduction of the church have begun as well. These things have already come to pass, are coming to pass, and continue to come to pass in our day. Sometimes the persecution of the church and the apostasy in the church uh, are at a point where we, we begin to think that Surely the end must be near, right? And we can look back in church history and see that. But as we've seen in the last 2,000 years, that's not the case. That even through those times, God continues to work all things together for our good, for the good of His church, and for His glory. And He uses judgment and revival to do so. Sometimes both at the same time. And so we, you and I, we do not know when it will all end. But we do know that one day it will end. One day the Lord is going to come to judge the living and the dead and to bring in the fullness of His kingdom. That's what we're looking forward to. So people of God, don't don't fall for the trap of setting some date or even some time frame when, well, this obviously has to happen now. That it's all going to come to an end within this amount of time. So far it's lasted 2,000 years. For all we know, it may last another 2,000 years or even more. The point of the book of Revelation here is not so that you and I can figure out the date or the timing of Christ's return. The point is to encourage us not to give up as we wait for His return. And and particularly that we be ready for His return when it comes. The world around us is going to mock us. They, they, They don't believe in this is going to happen. They think everything is just going to continue like it is. And the reason is because they have no place for God. They've forgotten God. They they have no place for His Word and they have no place for the judgment that is coming. But it will come when the Lord has ordained it to be. And so we need to remember that God does not measure time like we like to, right? We might think 2,000 years is a long time. And it is from our perspective, but not from God's. 2 Peter chapter 3 says that the world willfully forgets that God brought His judgment before on the wicked in the flood and that this world is reserved for fire for the final day. But the Apostle Peter also reminds us in that same chapter that a thousand years is as nothing to our God. And so it's our duty to remain faithful to our God and Savior until the end. In fact, I'm going to read that, that passage to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is, all the elect, all whom God has chosen in Christ, that they will all come. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So what are we to do? Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where our hope lies, isn't it? It's according to the promise of God. It's not according to what we think or what we feel or what the world tells us. We believe in His Word and we trust God. But the question here is, are you ready for the great and terrible day of the Lord? Is your heart right before this holy God? Are you seeking after Him? Are you seeking His righteousness first as you wait for that day to come? Because that's what you and I are supposed to be doing. That's why this book is given to us. To encourage us to do just that. Now in verses 8 and 9, John repeats his mistake again. Falling down before this angel. And again, he's rebuked. Angels are messengers sent from God uh, to bring the revelation of God to His people. Uh, The writer of Hebrews makes this clear when he says that Jesus, he compares him to the angels, and he says he's far greater than any of the angels of heaven. Angels have a duty. And and that duty includes serving the purposes of God in the salvation of His people. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, the construction of the language here, it expects only one answer. A positive answer. It expects the answer, yes. That's what they do. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us who will inherit the salvation that is ours in Christ. Now, now what's interesting here is that the word for ministering and the word for minister, they don't come from the same word. The word for ministering means to be engaged in a special sort of service that's liturgical in nature. Or or maybe better would be, that's holy in nature. It's a holy work. And the word for minister comes from the word for the word deacon, meaning to serve, to help, to, to wait upon. Now, obviously they're connected, but they're not the same. Matthew Henry makes this comment. Christ, as mediator, is the great minister of God in the great work of redemption. The Holy Spirit is the great minister of God and Christ and Christ in the application of this redemption. Angels are ministering spirits under the blessed Trinity to execute the divine will and pleasure. They are the ministers of divine providence. And so angels were created to give glory to God and to give help to God's people. To help us. 
Now again, uh, what the Apostle is told by the angel in verse 10, notice he says, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So so once again, the the message of this book is for all of God's people. The people of all, God's people of all time. Those in the days of John to those who follow right up until the end. But that that brings us to a very serious warning here uh, of verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now the implication here is a warning to the wicked that they are to forsake their sin, they're to turn from their sin, they're to follow the Lord, And it's a warning that's given to remind us that the way of sin is not the way of truth and righteousness. It's not the way that leads to eternal life with Christ. And yet, in spite of all the earnest pleadings, in spite of all the invitations, and even in spite of all the judgments that God sends on the wicked, they refuse to obey. They harden their hearts. They they refuse to accept the water of life freely offered and judgment will come. Final judgment will come. And what this is really speaking of is kind of a withdrawal of God. Leaving them in their sin. It's not an active work on the part of God, but it's a, it's a passive work where God leaves them in their sin. Leaves them to their sin. And yet it's a, it's a very sad and dire warning to be sure. Because what we're seeing here are the purposes of God in election coming to reality. And of course, the last part of this verse reminds us that we are what we are because of Christ. And our duty is to keep pursuing Christ. Let those who are righteous be righteous still. Let those who are holy be holy still. That that has the idea of exhorting us to do so. To keep on keeping on. To keep the faith. To keep following Jesus. to, To never give up. Keep pursuing holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, beloved, this this first section uh, sets before us two very different paths. And the emphasis is on the warning against unbelief, against the lifestyle of sin, against the ways of this world and the ways of man. Because this is not the way to life. It's not the way to happiness. It's not the way to contentment. This is the way of death and destruction and punishment for all those who oppose Christ. And we've seen that revealed here. What happened to the dragon? What happened to the beast? What happened to the false prophet? To the harlot? And to all those who have the mark of the beast? We already went over that. They, they, they perished in the lake of fire where there is eternal, never-ending misery and torment where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. And so what are we to do? We are to heed the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. The day is coming. It's drawing nearer and nearer when careless sinners, when obstinate sinners, when all sinners who do not know Christ will fall under His wrath. There is a hell to be avoided. There is a heaven to be pursued. 
Remember the words of warning from Jesus when He came to the end of His Sermon on the Mount and He set before us two ways in this world. The narrow way and the broad way. Two different trees, right? The good tree and the bad tree. Two different foundations that we can build upon. The sand or the rock. And you see, you must choose this day whom you will follow. The dragon or the lamb. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's the warning here in the first part of chapter 22. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose the Lord Jesus Christ or you will suffer the consequences of your sin and your rebellion against Him. Now the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ ends just as it began with the promise of blessing. The blessing of the first chapter is for those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. The blessing of the last chapter is very much the same. It is for those who do His commandments. And this last section, it begins with the reminder, once again, that Christ is coming. And He's coming quickly. Verses 12 and 13. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We're not really looking at this as a warning, but more as a reminder, an admonition for us to keep on keeping on, an exhortation not to give up, to persevere in the faith. And what does Jesus promise us here? He promises that He will reward us according to our works. Now, and I know that I don't have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Works, you know, are not the means of our salvation. Works are not the cause of our salvation. But those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for them, works are the result of our salvation, the result of our being saved in Christ. They're an expression of our gratitude for the great work that God has done in us and for us by His Son, through the power of His Spirit. And by His Word. And here Jesus reveals to us why He can do this. Why He can judge us by our works. The reason He can do this is because of who He is. You see, He's not just some first grand creation like the Arians and the Jehovah False Witnesses believe. He's the promised one of the Old Testament. The root and offspring of David. The bright and morning star. He is God Himself. Because He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. And these are clear references to the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. The prophet records this word for Jehovah. These words for Jehovah in uh, Isaiah 44, verse 6 for Yahweh. Thus says the Lord in capital letters, Yahweh, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And of course you remember Jesus said, 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They are one. Now, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to point out there's actually a textual variant here in verse 14 uh, in the blessing that's given to us. If you have an ESV, it says something like, blessed are those who wash the robes instead of those who do His commands. And I want to run with that a little bit because you and I, we, we all have a robe that we wear. It's a, it's a robe that clings to us throughout our life. We've been weaving it ever since the day of our conception. And that robe is filthy. It's dirty. Just like the robe of Joshua in, in Zechariah 3.3. 3, and, and just like the prophet says in Isaiah 64.6, 6, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's our character. That's what you and I are like in and of ourselves. And there's nothing that you and I can do to clean our robe. There's not a power on earth that can clean this robe that you and I wear. There's only one remedy for our terrible, filthy condition. And that's the blood of Christ. You and I must be washed in the blood of Christ. Because you see, His blood not only removes all of our guilt... But His death upon the cross, that's what His blood represents, also merits for us the purifying and sanctifying work of His Spirit, whom you and I constantly need each and every day. We need the cleansing fountain of Christ's blood every day. And this blood, this, this cleansing gives us, what does the text say? The right to the tree of life. It gives us entrance into the eternal city of God. This is doing what God commands. Because those who are cleansed in the blood will obey God's commands. As opposed to those who are outside the city, those who are not allowed in, those who are called the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. There's a real distinction being made here between those who are washed in the blood of Christ and those who are not. You can't live this way like the dogs and expect to be in heaven. So the point here is that Jesus has told us in His Word, He's told us in this book what you and I need to hear. This was written for us. And you and I, we have no excuse if we fail to hear Him. Verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Again, all of these names are from the Old Testament. They tell us that Jesus is the promised one. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the only way of salvation. And Jesus tells us here, He will not only bless us, He not only tells us what you and I need to know so that we can be saved from the wrath to come, but Jesus here invites us to come. We can say He commands us to come. It's an impassioned plea to come to Him so that we might have life, abundant life, eternal life. And He tells us that if we do, He will freely give us life. And the Spirit... And the bride say, come. The Spirit of God and the church are to bring out the Gospel. And let him who hears say, come. If you've heard that good news, you should be echoing that voice as well. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. 
We've had the witness of the angel. We've had the witness of John. Now we might say, well, here's the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we should realize this book was not written by John. This book was written by Jesus Christ. It's His revelation to you to to encourage you in your walk. To strengthen you no matter how hard it may get in this life. No matter how bad the opposition and the persecution may become. Jesus has for you the water of life. The water of eternal life. This is the water which one may drink and never die. It's, It's a water that overflows to eternal life. And it's the water that Jesus gives to all who come to Him. Do you know the joy of having drawn deeply from the wells of salvation? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because if you have, then you have His promise here that He's coming. And He's coming for you. And He's coming quickly. People of God, the book ends with one more warning and and one more promise. Let's realize that the Word of God is the complete revelation that's been given to us. As a preacher of Christ, I'm to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the parts I like. As a believer in Christ, you are to believe the whole counsel of God and not just pick and choose the parts you like either. The warning of verse 18 and 19, it's it's no different than what we read in the Old Testament about the importance of keeping the whole Word of God. As God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 4.2, You shall not add to the Word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. As the wise man said in Proverbs verse 6, 30, chapter 30, verse 6, Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you, and you'll be found a liar. You see, there is a great danger to adding to what God has said. There is a great danger to taking away from what God has said to His people as well. As many false prophets and false teachers will one day learn. And you see here, this, this is not an idle threat. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Let me read those words from Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Just as it is at the chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, there are blessings when we obey. There are curses when we disobey. And we are called to obey the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the warning. So beloved, what's, what's God's promise to you here in the book of the apocalypse of our Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that you and I need to take away from this book of visions that's been given to us so graciously by our Savior? We need to see that no matter what may be going on in the world around us, it is the Lord our God, the One who 
who loved us and gave himself for us. He is the one, the only one, who is really in control of all things. And he has promised that he will bring them to a glorious consummation in Christ. He has made you many great and precious promises about what is going to come at the end of the age. And he has sealed it with his blood. And he tells you three times here in this last chapter of the Bible, Behold, I am coming quickly. Three times. Do you think that's important? It should be important to you. And what is your response to that? Isn't your response, isn't my response supposed to be just like that of the Apostle John? But is it? Can you and I say with all of our heart, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus? Because you see, if you can't say that, then your heart is not right before God. If you can't say that, then your heart is still tied to this world, to this life, and not to the life to come. This book is revealed to you so that you might set your heart on that which is to come. And so I'm going to say it three times. Just as it's written in this chapter. And I'm going to ask you to repeat the words of John in response. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Got him up here. And I hope by saying this out loud, that will help us to set our hearts, to set our minds on things above where Christ is. Are you ready? Jesus says this three times. The first time, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Response, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Response, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And he says to you one last time, Surely, I am coming quickly. Response, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.